Smart. Oh, we have notes. We have okay. notes right now. Should I be nervous? Like, <laughs> no, do no, I need no, to no. get nervous right now, Ray? No, what are you doing? Just, yeah. I just want you to know that uh, Melissa told us what your safe word is. So we're going to go. Cacao. It's cacao. Cacao. This is the Other People Podcast with Paula Hathaway and Ray Ray. Ryan Moran, drummer, solo artist, music instructor, father, Husband, surfer, long distance runner, didgeridooer. <laughs> Did we miss anything? Uh, a few things, but that, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, enlighten us, man. What you got? Um, I did do the Ironman twice here in Oceanside. Nice. That was pretty yeah. gnarly. But yeah, those are things, you know, that's all just claims. Uh, just happy to be a dad and be yeah. a musician. Right on. Yeah. So that's why you're here uh, on the Other People podcast. And the next question is. How did you get here? Like, how did I get here? Start. Okay. So go, starting from the beginning, you know, I was born in Northern California. I yeah. was born in San Francisco, moved to San Diego at 18 to go to San Diego state. I wanted to kind of get out of the world I was in and kind of grew up in a smaller town, uh, in the suburbs of the San Francisco Bay area. Um, so I came down here just to look at with a couple different schools and I loved San Diego state. So I decided to go there, um, and just work, put my, put myself through school, um, worked a bunch of jobs, started getting into the music here at that time. That was 94 when I moved here and yeah, just knew that I wanted to do music and knew that it, that was like, I was going to give that my all hundred percent, even though everyone in my life was telling me not to do it. Yeah. Um, my parents, you know, were business people, um, they worked nine to five and they did that thing. And I just knew that I, that's what I didn't want to do. Um, not because of who they were, I, they, I had a good upbringing and everything, but I just knew that I wanted to try to do it my own way. So I moved here and just started getting into the loop and started playing locally, you know, for free of course. And then for 50 bucks here and there and a hundred bucks here and there and started, you know, getting through school and meeting more musicians and then getting more in the scene from there. Right on. Did, you, did I see that you went to Berkeley too? I went to Berkeley yeah. during my high school year. So in high oh, wow. school, we had a, a jazz big band that was, mm -hmm. we were doing these like festivals and essentially you go in, they're more instructional than they are like competitive in a way. So you go in with your big band and you're, there's like a, a panel of like pro players, usually like three or four people. And they basically critique the band and they go, okay, you guys sound great. You could work on this. You need to listen, maybe listen to these guys or listen to this thing. It's more about teaching than it is like a, a competition. Yeah. Um, and so during one of those uh, festivals, I was given a scholarship to go to Berkeley and I was like a sophomore in high school. Hmm. And so my parents were like, well, you can't go to college now. You're like 15. <laughs> but when I turned 16, I could go to this summer thing. So I went there for like six weeks. I didn't go there full time or for college or anything like that, but for like a, a summer camp kind of vibe intensive. That's cool. Though. And it was really cool. I met a bunch of guys from the Northeast that were like incredible players already, even at like 16 and it was fun. It was my first kind of, you know, chance to be away from the house and have some fun, smoke cigarettes yeah. and drink coffee <laughs> and, you know, yeah, shoulder whole, tap and get a, get a tall boy. Boston is just so fun. And yeah. Boston. I said Boston, right? Yeah. yeah. 
so it was a great experience, you know. That's cool. God, it's 16, like just cruising around in Boston. I can't yeah. even imagine. It was, it was a little overwhelming because I was from kind of a smaller town, kind of suburban, you know, zone in Northern California. And then all of a sudden it was like, you're smack dab in this huge city. Don't know anybody except for one of my friends that was there too. And yeah, it was kind of like just, you know, meeting a whole bunch of friends and getting really inspired to, to go down the path of like really, you know, developing the craft of musicianship. You know, that was kind of the goal at that point. Oh, yeah. No, I was I, I did a tour of Berkeley when I was eighteen or nineteen with one of my buddies, and uh, I drank the Kool Aid, man. I signed yeah. up for the loans. I was like going to be there, and uh, on the way back, uh, and I've told this story to Paula, so she's probably like annoyed with it. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> on the way back, uh, you know, we we spent a week in there, like it was snowing sideways. It was winter yeah. time, and um, but you know, meeting all these amazing musicians and then hanging out and like having co- like just the people were so inviting and just like welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the community that I want to be in. This mm-hmm. is so cool. And as I'm leaving, I go to get on the T and as I'm walking down the stairs, I hear this guitar and it is just the most beautiful sound I've ever heard just reverberating through the subway station. And mm-hmm. I get down to the bottom and this guitar is sitting there with this case open Looked like Boston shoot him up and just spit him <laughs> right in that spot, and mm-hmm. that was it. And I was like, "Wow, that's an option too," you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this guy, he's he was better than it. Still, still now, I I don't think I I like I. He's just leaps and bounds ahead of me. And then you know, a flight home, and you get off, and you smell that air in San Diego, <laughs> and it's warm, and it's and yeah. the salt water coming, and I'm like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here," mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yeah. just I didn't do it. But, it's pretty um, intense. I think I realized that it was, you know, I, having been there, it was like, okay, it was a great experience. And I learned it, it kind of motivated me, but I also knew that I didn't want to do that for my college years. Like I wanted to be somewhere like here and with nice weather and the ocean, you know, I surf a lot. So I wanted to be close to the coast and still have a music program that I felt was, you know, going where I could develop my, my skills and hopefully, you know, get into the scene a little bit. So yeah. you got your BA? In I music? did. Yeah. yeah. I got my BA and, uh, took me a while to finish. Um, cause I started touring a whole bunch while I was in school and that was really what I wanted to do. And so the first couple of years it was kind of like, you know, playing the school game and really going that direction. And then by my third or fourth year, I was already starting to, to work about four nights a week. So I'm up, you know, till 2am partying, meeting girls, you know, having fun and, playing a lot of shows we were working a ton um i was with the b-side players here in san diego and at the time we were working quite a bit so we were playing all the venues in town and doing la on the weekends and going up to san francisco on the weekends and so that was starting to get really intense and at that time i started kind of pushing school a little bit further back and just trying to get through it to finish but not i was my timeline totally dragged for the last couple of years i did eventually graduate but I knew that I wanted to be on the road and I wanted to be performing. That was at that time, like the most important thing to me. And so that was sort of when I kind of got to the crossroads of like, okay, scholastic music is one thing, the study of the formula and the science and the math that can be incorporated in music. But I wanted the re- the reality of being in a band with some guys that are trained, some guys totally untrained. They play from the heart and they're incredible, mm-hmm. you know, and 
So there's this weird like duality of like by day you're this, you know, music nerd, but then at night you don't think about any of that. You're just like going out to party and have a few beers and play concert. So it's totally a good point of development, but also I started to see like these two totally different worlds mm -hmm. kind of emerge and I was gravitating towards the fun one, you know, and, and that's where I still am, I guess. <laughs> so It's not a bad place to be. No, no, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so if we were going to talk about your bands, um, mm -hmm. and like music, uh, do you think that the bad religion tribute is more important to you than <laughs> being a drummer for maybe slightly stupid? Um, <laughs> definitely not, no. but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed uh, so. <laughs> Ray, you know, playing with you in Generator was great. And honestly, great band. Like, everyone in that band really plays well. You know, for me, it's always been about the love first of doing yeah. it. It's never really been about the money per se. But that being said, I am a father and I'm yeah. a husband and I own a house. And so I have to make money now. And so I have to kind of choose, you know, wisely there as well. Like, even though I'm passionate about music, you know, I have had other things like setbacks, like, you know, injuries, like I had a really bad back injury actually during that era. Yeah. And it was like just hard even to like load my gear in and out of, you know, the practice room or whatever. And so I had to be a little more, you know, choosy about stuff I want to do and make sure it makes sense on a financial level so yeah. I can pay my mortgage too now, you know? So, um, yeah, now there's a different sort of time in my in my life. So I have to choose a little more strategically, I guess, because yeah. I, I need to be responsible. Yeah. Because when, when do you think, um, I mean, music's always business. Like it, it, mm -hmm. it is. When do you think it's switched for you? Where, where you where it was, was it kids or, or, well, when I joined, you know, I was with B side from 96 till about 2003. And I had met the guys from slightly stupid a bunch of times. Cause we had done shows all over San Diego. So I, I knew Miles and Kyle and Adam Bausch, who was the drummer at the time, um, more like on an acquaintance level. Um, and so I, I, you know, we, we were familiar with each other with, you know, through the scene a little bit, you know, back then uh, that was late nineties and or mid nineties or whatever. So I was young, single, just kind of having fun and the whole deal. But when I joined, when they asked me to join the band, it was like a huge step forward because, there was a real business structure there. So it, it alleviated a lot of us, you know, having to do the DIY thing where we had to call everyone we knew in San Francisco and say, Hey, bring out, you know, 10 friends and no guest passes. Like, please just pay the, pay the $10 or whatever the cover is so that we can come back and we can make money. Um, when I joined stupid, like we had management, we had an agency or like a booking agent. Um, and it was a professional sort of business, apparatus or whatever you want to call it that we were that it was a step forward um so that was really when things started to shift where i could could really focus more on the craft of being a player mm -hmm. and having time to practice and record and do all the things that musicians do that's unpaid that's not necessarily putting your name in the lights or whatever but you're doing the work so that you can get to the stage you know and that was that that was the time that was one of the first shifts for me into like a little a more of a grindy situation into more of like a professional, like the guys have a goal, they're releasing albums, we're touring, like there's a whole system here that's in place. 
So it allowed, you know, for us to like have time to practice and have time to go surfing when we're off the road. Cause in the early years, you know, we're on the road like eight, nine months out of the year. Wow. So it was pretty nuts. That's a grind. Yeah. So it was, that was a new kind of dues paying in that realm. So that when I, when I would come home, it was like, I don't want to play. I just want to surf and drink and hang out and not do that, you know? So that was kind of the, one of the first shifts for me into that different, you know, state of mind where I, I know things are going to be sort of sorted out, you know, from the business level. Yeah. That's nice. It's gotta be like an education. Cause it, it, you, I, I think people, when they think of music, it's kind of, Oh, you go out and you play shows, you write an album and then somebody picks you up and, and you make money mm-hmm. <laughs> and then fame and, and that's it. And then the money just comes and you just keep recording and it's just hanging out and everybody's just having a good time and, and there's work. Yeah. I, I mean, do you feel like, like your routine for maybe even like practicing or like just improving yourself as a player? Is there something that, you know, you would recommend to people that are, want to be a, um, a career musician like what are things you wish you were doing in the beginning and maybe, um, are doing now that, uh, I think, you know, for, for so many people, and this is true beyond just music, even for artists. Like if you want to be a tattoo artist, you need to be a good artist and you need to care about your art first before you pick a needle up and put that art on somebody's body. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like the same is true with musicians. Like nowadays there's all these, you know, DAWs, these workstations where you can just, pull up a loop and drag and then pull up another loop and drag it. And I've made a song. Well, cool, but you didn't really do the work that it took to actually create those sounds and make them original to you. And so there's a lot of ways that people can kind of shortcut themselves to becoming a star quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But for me, that was never really my motivation. It was more about the craft of musicianship. Like I looked up to musicians that I knew I could never be as good as, but I have a different life situation, so I have to take that into account, but I still have this drive to, to always work on my craft. I still do that every day. I'm going, when we finish here, I'm going to go shed for like two hours and just practice. And some days it's a super productive two hours where I'm really, I'm working on something specific, like I'm learning some new songs or some days I'm just kind of putting on my iPod or my, whatever, my phone and pulling up tunes and just like playing to tunes. So what I try to do is the practice for me is almost like meditative and it's almost a part of every single day. Um, like even when my kids were in diapers and I was full dad mode, I would still try to have like an hour or two if they were going to take a nap where I could fold up a towel and just chop on a practice pad so that I could still get my, get my muscle memory, you know, in, in place. And so for me, it was always the drive for the craft. Mm-hmm was what kept me going and it still keeps me going. Like, even though those are unpaid hours, I don't calculate my life like that because I'm not working nine to five. I'm not an hourly employee for anybody. So if I show up prepared for the next gig, then I've done my job. And that's what I, I take pride in doing that, you know? And I think, you know, for a lot of people, they're looking for the way to do the least and to get the most out of it. Right. Like American Idol, I'm just going to, wait in line for six hours and then I'm going to be a superstar. And that's not really the way it works because those people, they come and go quickly. You know, as soon as the next season is on, if you won last season, you're forgotten about. Right. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that one hit wonder or be that 
like musician that was there in this like huge band for a week and then gone a year later. And fortunately, you know, with the way the trajectory of my career has been a slow, steady climb and it's been a positive experience all the way through. And there's been a ton of pitfalls and ups and downs and highs and lows, of course, but I can look back and go, yeah, it's been difficult, but I'm, I'm glad that I stuck it out because I'm looking back now on 25 years of doing what I love to do. And that, and, and that I think comes with the care for the craft continually. Mm-hmm. The craft is w- always what's been most important to me. So if I, like when I listen to other players, I try not to overjudge people. You know, I went through my music snobbery phase Yeah, we all, and, and we I'm, all <laughs> I think I'm out of that now. Like yeah. now I'm just going like, that's cool for what that is. And I respect it. I don't need, I'm not better or worse than that. It's just not my thing or wow. I want to get to that level and be able to do yeah. what this guy can do. And so I'll listen to that a bunch and try to emulate that in my practice time. So for me, the, the practice and the craft and the improvement has been sort of my driving energy. It's not really about like, oh, I hope I get in this band and like make a ton of money and then just retire at like 35 because that didn't happen. I'm 46. I still need to work as much as I can because I have a young family and stuff yeah. too. So it's like, that the little flash in the pan success is that's never been interesting to me. And I guess, I don't know, some of that was maybe the way I was raised was like, you know, I grew up in a middle class, middle class household, but my parents didn't spoil any, any of us, my, my sisters or I, we were like, they were like, if you want it, you're going to have to work. And so I always kind of knew that if you want to be a musician, you have to work for it and you have to earn respect. No one's just going to respect you because you have a brand new drum set. Because yeah. then you're you're like the fat kid at the skate park, you know, with all the brand new shit. <laughs> yeah. But you can't skate. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be that kid. I want to be the one that can skate on okay equipment. You know what I mean? But yeah. not, I'm not just there to, to to be a scenester. Like I really care about the art. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Who are some of your earlier influences? Like, who did you look up to? Like musically. Yeah. So I went through a bunch of listening kind of phases and like different times in my years where like that was my thing and then everything else was a backseat. So the first music I heard that really made me feel like I wanted to play drums specifically was like Zeppelin, kind of classic rock stuff, Aerosmith, Ozzy, you know, Iron Maiden, Metallica, all that stuff that was happening around that era when I was, you know, like 12 or 13, Guns N' Roses, like all the hair bands too. Um, and I had, you know, I have two older sisters that were listening to like polar opposite stuff. So like my oldest sister, she was pretty gnarly, like punk rock, like RKL, DK, Black Flag, Descendants, like go down the list. Yeah. That was her thing. And um, she introduced me to Fishbone. That like totally blew my mind. Um, so all those influences were huge from her side. My other sister was a full deadhead. So she was listening to the dead and going in a VW van and wearing like big dresses. I'm starting and, to understand you better. Yeah. So like there's this two sided thing and yeah. I've always grown up with that, yeah. you know, like I, I like reggae and, and classic rock, but I also love metal and punk rock because I love the energies of those two things. I almost so, feel like slightly stupid is the perfect band for that mix. It is actually, it yeah. is. Yeah. Like just like the bad brains kind of thing yeah. where it's like they're either playing reggae or they're playing full, like, aggressive punk and they're doing it super well. And so those bands were a huge influence early on. Um, I kind of went in high school. I had a really good friend who was listening to stuff. He was always kind of ahead of everyone else in terms of our, 
development. And so he was listening to like jazz and blues and rush mm -hmm. and all this music nerd music. Yeah. And so I went heavy into that in high school and even in college was listening to a lot of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, from there it was like, if I was playing jazz music, I was listening to jazz music. If I was playing with, when I was with the B side guys, it was a lot of Latin music, a lot of Afro Cuban folklore and, and like a whole, that whole world. And then a lot of seventies funk tower of power, all that stuff. And That's then I kind stuff. of, yeah, I don't know. I've kind of gone all over the map. Um, so now I kind of listen to everything more depending on a mood. So if I'm like edged out and I got angst, like it is going to be something fast and aggressive with a strong message. If I'm tired and relaxed, like I'll put on ambient music and just like try to take some deep breaths and just cruise. I, I, I use music more now as like a mood enhancer or a mood sort of helps me work through whatever, yeah. I, wherever I am emotionally. So if I'm squeaking out and just, ah, like I need something heavy, you know, too much coffee, too much yeah. coffee. Yeah. yeah. The Rymo nuke. Yeah. You have, to. All this. you have to. Coffee is a, a step a drug of choice. It's a must. It is necessary it's, for all life. Yes, absolutely. All existence. Like I've learned now, I don't eat until, unless I'm drinking the Rymo nuke, I had to go like put some carbs <laughs> in to absorb some of this, but I don't eat until probably like 1230, maybe one or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but it's coffee, you know, without sugar, maybe a little bit of like some non-dairy creamer and, mm -hmm. uh, and that's it all morning. And, mm -hmm. and it keeps me super focused and I'm able to get things done. And then as soon as I eat, I'm like, yeah, super tired. <laughs> done. Food yeah. Coma. Done for the day, but I can drink coffee all day, mm -hmm. all day. And Me too. conk out in a second too. I'm definitely addicted to coffee. I need I need at least two cups to get going. Yeah. And mm -hmm. maybe another two through the day just to kind of have a good day. You know, like <laughs> just keep you even. Yeah, yeah. stay even. Yes. Not hit that hit that wall. <laughs> can we um can we go back? Um I wanna I wanna talk um a little bit about the the ups and downs. And, yeah. um, like two, twofold one, it's, you know, when you're making money as a musician, it, I think it'd be helpful for people to know what those, what those streams are. Like, where does that money come from? And then we'll, we'll hit some of the, the darker points <laughs> of being a career musician, but you mm -hmm. know, like wh when you're thinking about it, um, I'll, I'll let you talk, you know, where, 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 where are you making money and are there places where it's more in terms of like the, the, potential streams of income yeah, yeah. for a musician. There's actually quite a few. Yeah, I mean, you have to so diversify. I'm for sure. me, I'm a performer first. Mm -hmm. And so that's for me where the bread and butter is. And that's where I make most of my money. I, I get paid on performance income. Um, so that for me is, that's what supports the family. Um, so speaking of pitfalls, like COVID was really huge because mm -hmm. we got completely flatlined for like 18 months. And it was like really stressful. I kind of, I, I definitely went dark during that period. Like I, I knew that things were going to normalize eventually, but I was just like, I kept hoping that it was going to be like, Oh, a couple more months and we're good. Yeah. Two weeks. And it just turned, yeah. Two weeks to flatten yeah. the curve turned into <laughs> like almost two years of us of like lost income. So that was a really stressful time. Um, but I'll get back to that. Other potential streams are to teach. So, if you're a guitar player and you can play a few chords, you can teach a kid how to play whatever song they want to learn potentially. Right. And you could play it with a capo with the same finger structure or whatever. Mm -hmm. So for me, I do that with drumming and I did that during COVID quite a bit. Um, I actually taught your daughter, mm -hmm. Ray, yeah. for 
couple yeah. lessons. Um, so that what that came in real handy. And the beauty of that is again, being self-employed, I'm making my own hours I'm making my own availability and I can choose if I want to work 25 hours a week or four hours a week, depending on what my family needs of me. So, yeah. um, that's a potential income stream. If you're a touring professional, you know, merchandise is another potential stream. Um, so every band has their different ways of handling that within their own business structure. Um, trying to think of some other ways you can publish, of course you can, again, kind of go down the teaching route, mm -hmm. um, either teaching one-on-one -on -one or teaching in a class setting, like at, at a school, um, trying to think of what other potential income streams yeah. there are nowadays, you know, with, with social media being really forward in that way, there's a lot of guys that are teaching online that are mm -hmm. making probably really great money because they're sort of advertising on Instagram and YouTube. And then they're able to turn that into a subscription or a, uh, you know, a, a monthly lesson, you know, that's sort of a, a way that they could make money there. Um, you know, for me, like I said, you know, performance has been my bread and butter. And when the band, when slightly stupid is, is slow, I do take on side work. So I did mm -hmm. a couple gigs with generator playing bad mm -hmm. religion songs. Um, I've got a couple other groups that I work with in town, a guy named, uh, Tom Greisgraber, we have a group called Agent 22. Oh, yeah. And we just do a handful of gigs here and there. It's more just for the love of playing. And it's not necessarily a money thing as much as it's for me, it's nice to shift gears and still do what I love, but be in a totally different realm. You know, Slightly is on kind of a different level than some of the other bands. And so it's nice for me to go back and play a dive bar, play a coffee shop for like 50 people after, I, after Red Rocks. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> like, a, it's a totally different experience, but it's also equally, I still love doing that too. Yeah. Cause I just like to play. So I try not to like turn my nose up at anything. If it's someone that calls and they go, Hey, we have this and here's, you know, here's what it's going to be. I try to accept as much side work as I can just because I love doing what I do. That's cool. Yeah. Do you do, um, there was a, it's in Carlsbad. Do you do the private school there? Uh, there's a couple music schools around. There's like Bach to Rock and there's a couple other ones. I, I was working with one a couple of years back called Rios Music Project. Yeah, that. So I was working with um, actually a childhood family friend of mine yeah. who runs the business, Julie Chambers. So she's actually married to Jamie Chambers, who's on Fox News. He's oh. one of their main nice. um, anchors there. Great, great people. And so I worked with her for several years. They had a, uh, a loft right down off of, um, I guess it was off of Poinsettia. And so their whole downstairs area was a music studio. And that was great because I was off the road for a while. And I had spoken to Julie and she said, come teach for a couple months or however much you can. And it was great because I, I really enjoy working with kids. You know, I've been a substitute teacher off and on. I actually did that during the COVID close yeah. down too. Um, I've been doing that for almost 20 years hmm. off and on at kind of on an cool. as needed thing yeah. uh, basis. So I've gone into high schools and I prefer working with like high school kids, like the older kids yeah. a little more cause they're either tuned in or they're tuned out at that point, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I, I like working with kids and trying to share, you know, whatever knowledge I have on whatever topic I'm trying to teach. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Let's go dark. Okay. Let's go real dark. Yeah. No, but let's. Uh, how, 
during because you know it's the it's the hardest career i not hardest career but probably like one of the toughest to make it and and really to be able to like you support your family you've, you've got a home you're, do, you, mm-hmm. you're you're doing well and you're working um how many times have you have you been uh to where you know i'm done like this is like and then you push through it and what what gets you that a lot of times through it yeah a lot of times um you know, being in being in a band is like being in a a marriage or a heavy relationship. But you but you have you know eight or ten people that you're sharing all this energy with all the time because you're working together, and then you're driving together, and you're so you're on the tour bus all the day long. Then you got to get on stage for the show. The crowd only sees that one or two hours of your day, but they haven't seen the other twenty two hours, so <laughs> they didn't see if yeah. you know there was an issue or a stress or whatever, um, or just the travel, you know, the travel gets pretty nuts. I mean, even just in this last tour we just did, like we did some crazy drives where none of us are driving. We have a driver, but you're still kind of trapped on the bus sometimes for 10, 12, 14, 16 hours straight. And so by the time you, you get somewhere, you're just like, get me off this bus, get me away from everybody. Not because I don't like them, but just because I'm spun out, I'm tired. And so a lot of people have this idea that, you know, that being a touring musician is like a rap video and there's hot tub and everyone's got a bottle of champagne and there's <laughs> yeah. girls everywhere. And in the real, the reality is that when you're a working player, it's actually kind of the opposite of that. Like, yeah, that stuff all happens too, if that's where your head is. But there's also this element of like, I need to show up on time. I have to set up my equipment so that I can put the best performance on because people are paying money to be here to watch the band perform. So I need to give, I need to respect that and show up for work and not be like 10 drinks in and, you know, falling yeah. over. Like I need to be present and I need to care about what I do. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they just assume like, okay, you know, music's just this big party and you're having fun and it is fun and it is a party too, but there's also a job to do and you have to deliver that because if you don't, people won't come see you the next time you come through their town. So a lot of times, you know, it's really just that reality of you're traveling super hard and then you're performing and then you're with all the guys again, you're traveling and you're performing. And so what I've found is that when I'm not in that travel mode and touring with the guys, I kind of go off grid a little bit. Like I'm not attached to my phone. I'm not posting every five minutes. Like when I'm on the road, I post a ton of stuff because I'm in a different city, a different venue every day meeting new people or, or yeah. catching up with old friends, you know, every day there's, there's a reason maybe to, to put something up. But when I come home, it's, it's kind of the opposite. It's just like all about my wife and kids and just kind of like, if it's not important, then just don't call me for a couple of weeks so I can mm-hmm. come back to the, you know, come back to earth. Yeah. And that's why you're not texting me back. <laughs> that was a long way back. to say that. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. He's too busy. <laughs> Ray. Just I'm just joking. Uh, let's see. Paula found... What it, bucket list? Oh, there, um, a bucket list. So yeah. I saw that there was one thing that you hadn't done. So I'm wondering if you've actually done it yet. Okay. Hang gliding? I Did you actually? You haven't done it? I really want to. How'd you know that? We just know things. Paula mm. does her research, <laughs> man. I've always so, really wanted to do that. Are you going to do it? Yes, I will do that 
in this lifetime. Absolutely. You can just go. It's right here in San Diego. I, I will know. go watch you. Right off, right up, right above Blacks, right there. I used to go drink coffee and just like I watch actually know jump someone that clubs. works there. So we're gonna talk. <laughs> we need some connections. Let's I, I want to do, yeah. do it. I want to do it. I want to feel that feeling of just being a bird for. It'd be half pretty an hour. amazing. Yeah. That's neat. Why do you Why do you think you're like so drawn to it? Like, I'm an adrenaline junkie, man. Yeah. I mean, I grew up surfing in in Northern California. You know, the waves get heavy and it's dangerous and. You know, I had a couple close calls and I, I like the challenge of that. And then, um, you know, when I moved here, like the ocean's a little more mild down here, which I actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I found other ways to just find challenges like, like training for Ironman. Like, I don't know if I can do it, but one of my friends said that he did it and he's like, dude, you can already run and you like to, you like to swim and surf and stuff. And you just got to train on the bike. And so it was like a challenge. And I've always liked those kind of things that are totally opposite of they're not related to music or anything. Cause I, when I'm in that world, it's really hyper-focused on whatever it is at that point in time. So it just gets me out of that mindset and puts me in another place where I can challenge myself, I think. So having grown up, you know, having like skateboarding tons and then finding surfing and, and enjoying those challenges and that adrenaline, of like, oh, there's like a 10 foot wave that's about to just push me 20 feet down and I'm gonna get hammered right here. Yeah. Um, that feeling, like I, I need that feeling. It makes me feel alive. And so, yeah, like I'd like to find those challenges in life or, or take some risk to and to enjoy like the adrenaline of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you'll do another Ironman or is too too plenty? Um, I think I'm going to do another one next year. Yeah. Do I you think... need me to tattoo the logo on you? <laughs> I, don't, Please. I don't know. Let's like, do it. I'm kind of like on the fence about it. It's a little claim, but I also think that it's kind of a cool achievement and I, it's something I'm proud of. Yeah. I can't really say that I'm ready for that, but, uh, I do want to do another race at some point. I, I had to stop for a few years because I, I tweaked my back pretty bad. I think I had a muscle tear or something that just, it just took forever to heal. And so I got kind of bummed out. Like I couldn't do all this activity. I'm always wanting to stay pretty active. And now that I'm starting to kind of come around from that injury, I think that, yeah, I think that I'm going to try to do something next year and just gives me a goal too. So that I'm not just like feeling like I'm spinning my wheels. Like I go, okay, by May, I'm going to be ready to do this race. And even if it, I'm not going to get first place, but I'm not going to get last place. I'm really just doing it for my own self. Just to know that I can set a goal and then complete it, you know, that's really something that I, I enjoy, you yeah. know. And to clarify, how, how many miles is it for each event? So the one that I do, or I've done twice here in Oceanside, is it's technically a half Ironman. So there's about four different race lengths. You have a sprint length, uh, an Olympic length, and which I've done a handful of, of each of those to kind of work up to. And then the, the half iron length is a 1.2 swim, 1.2 miles. And then you transition and you get right on the bike and you do 56 miles on the bike. And then you go transition right from there into running 13 miles. Dang. Um, and so the Oceanside one, I think I did it in 2015 and 16. And I had... I don't know. I just had always thought it was cool and I wanted to try it. And I met this guy who was living in Solana beach at the time, um, who was a trainer. And so I started talking to him and he's like, yeah, mate, he was a English guy, uh, guy named Ray Kelly. And he said, you know, like 
I have this program. You can, you can subscribe to my program and it's like a, you know, it's a paid coach kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, like I'm, the band was rolling solid at the time. I was like, yeah, I can do that. It's an investment in my own health and it's a goal that I think that I can achieve. So when I did those two, it was really challenging, but really gratifying. And then after that, uh, second race, I guess around 2017 or so was when I got pretty hurt and my back just, it was just rotten for like a few years. I just really couldn't do that much cause it would just flare up. Like if I sit down at the drums and play for more than an hour or two, it would kind of start to hurt. And so I would save that for shows because yeah. that's how I make money and whatever. And then my fitness kind of went down at the time because I couldn't really do a whole lot of stuff without aggravating it. Um, so yeah, I think there, at some point in the future, I'll do another one, but I don't know if I'll ever do the full race, which that's gnarly. That that's intense. Brutal. It's 140 miles. The full yeah. length one. It's double. It's crazy. Length. So it's like yeah, a no. two mile swim. It's 102, I think, or 110 on the bike. And then run a marathon after that. that yeah. That's gnarly. Yeah, no. Yeah, you know? that's crazy. I mean, it's all it's all a little bit gnarly, but I think you have to know that it it's a process to work to. Because I had friends going like, dude, I can't even run like a mile. And I go, yeah, when I started training, I could, couldn't could run consistently that far either. But you start with the program and you start to develop your, you know, your, your tolerance for pain, essentially. Yeah, it's, yeah. More, it's, uh, it's more mental mm-hmm. than anything else. I mean, I've... I've only done maybe one or two two sprints, mm-hmm. not the Ironman, uh, but two sprint triathlons, and it's you know those aren't they're those aren't bad, but uh, you know you, when you get up to I remember yeah not being able to run a mile and then you get to four miles and you're like oh my head's pounding <laughs> and how am I going to get through shin splints and things like that, yeah. and then and then you know you're like at 16 miles and and running a marathon you're and and after that it's just one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. i think that's probably a good analogy for a music career right yeah. <laughs> like if you just i think there's a lot of parallels yeah. there i i've always been drawn to things that like you couldn't just do right like you can't just get on a skateboard and rip you have to like fall 800 times and mm-hmm then start to learn a couple tricks and then fall again. And you, you kind of, there's a progression that needs to happen to get to be good at skateboarding or surfing too. You're not just going to paddle out at, you know, some heavy place in Hawaii and, you know, be the guy, you know, like you got to pay your dues. You got to show up, you got to be there. You might bounce off the reef a few times and then you start to get, maybe get an okay wave, a better wave. I like things where you have to kind of work to earn. Like it was a progression. Totally. And the same with drumming. It's, I didn't just wake up and I got, had a pro career. And I think a lot of like young kids think that, you know, I think I thought that when I was a kid that you just got in a band and then everything just fell into place and you had a, you know, supermodel wife and you just had like a, you know, four car garage, you know, that wasn't the way it works, at least for me, you know? So I don't know. I, I like things that you have to kind of work towards to develop, to be able to just do them. And then to be great at them, you appreciate the people that are great at it because you've been because you have to be humbled to get yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think do. that's that's probably one of the biggest things is is all of those things are are humbling at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's like trying you get up and go, oh, I'm going to run really far. You sprint. You don't know how to pace yourself. You're going to just die. Mm-hmm. And everything else, there's always going to be someone that is a little bit better. And mm-hmm. I, I'm I. 
I remember, and, and I'm probably still a music snob too, a little bit, but I remember early on, I got my ass handed to me by kids that were like little kids and, and, and you find them and you're like, ah, I thought I was good at what I do. <laughs> totally. But, music is like that. You know, yeah. you can think you're, you're killing it. And then nowadays you just open your phone and you're like, wow, I can't do half the stuff that yeah. this guy's doing, but I have a career in performance this guy's in his garage. Yeah. So it's, you have to, you also have to know like that their life is different than your life too. And can't compare. Exactly. You mm-hmm. can't compare yourself to, to anyone, I think, you know, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to me in my career. Oh, I, I mean, bet. tattooing for almost 20 years and I see people that have been tattooing for like two years and I'm like, oh. I'm like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit now. Because they I, have a skill set. Yeah, it's just amazing. But it was like when I got into tattooing, it, it, the whole industry is so different. So mm-hmm. there wasn't as much stuff out there on the internet or any of that. Like there wasn't right. the social media. There wasn't, it was just beginning. So people now, they're like killing it. And I'm like, holy shit. But I'm, I have to remember not to compare myself. You can't compare. I think if you're the like our generation is it's just we're reflecting what we grew up with in a way mm-hmm. and like nowadays there's there is so much more information like there's musicians on online that just i think i can't do any of this stuff that they can do but we didn't again we didn't really have that for music stuff either um so you have to have you have to be able to sort of figure out where you fall into that place and say well i'm here and i deserve to be here mm-hmm. because i know i'm good at my craft you know that you're good at tattooing and your skill set is based on your life and your influences and everything that's you. Right. And I have to remember that too with music. Like, yeah, if I open up my phone and I see some guy that I mm-hmm. that I really dig, I go, yeah, but he also has a life. And maybe he's amazing at drumming, but maybe he's not that cool of a dad. Or maybe mm-hmm. he's not like, maybe he doesn't surf. Or maybe he doesn't do the other things that make me me. So I think we get all this like kind of FOMO looking at, our phones all day long and it's easy to fall into that trap. But I think what's important is that the energy that you're bringing in the tattoo chair is going to make people want to come back to you. Yeah. Right. And they know that you know, and that you love the craft. Like I have to remember that too. When I look at these drummers and stuff and I go like, can't do that. But what pr- keeps me coming back is that I know that people from my performance and from me being who I am, I know that people can respect that. And I hope that I show respect and I can get that respect back because that to me is more important than showing off on YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about your solo career. Okay. How's that going? It's small. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun to just, I always like to record music on the side and I put an album out, um, actually kind of during the height of the COVID thing. Um, last year it came out in, I think it was April of 21. Um, so yeah, I've always sort of recorded and had, had kind of backlogs of songs that were like partially finished or sketches and Ray, you yeah. probably, yeah, I've know, got, you know how that is. Yeah. I've got, I've got thousands of songs I've never recorded and they've, and they, they're probably awesome and they're just going to sit on a hard drive somewhere yeah. or they're going to sit in a, right next to us. Yeah. <laughs> they don't let them hear us. So I had, you know, I, I, 
I created an album in, I think, 2007 or 8, or maybe it dropped in 9, called Structure and Flow. So that was the first album I did, and that kind of happened by accident. I was at my friend's studio, I had some time off the road, and I just set my drums up, and my friend had just built this cool home studio in San Marcos, and I was like, rad, let, let me bring my drums and set up. We started recording four or five ideas, and it became... He was like, dude, put an album out. Like, you should put your own album out. Uh, oh, yeah, I should. Because I've always been an accompanist, you know, as a drummer. You need a band to play with, typically, to put music out. And so that was the first one I did, 2009. Um, and then it took me a full 12 years to put out a second one. But that one's called Kinetic. So that one yeah. dropped, yeah, like I said, like April of last year. Um, we did one CD release show in Escondido at the Ritz, uh, Ritz Ballroom in downtown Esco um, last May, and that was super fun. But that was pretty much the extent of doing a lot of solo stuff. Um, really, my main focus is just to stay active and, and perform as much as I can. So that solo thing was more like, here's me just being weird yeah, and not being a part of another like project that is this thing or that thing, you know. I finally got to give it like a, a real listen, you know, yeah. like, cause it's, it's, it's hard to find, sit down and, and listen to a whole album anymore. Like you can have in your ear when you're exercising or, or doing something, but I, it's, it's really good, man. Thank it's, you. it's really good. And it's, uh, uh, you can tell the effort that goes into like every small sound that mm -hmm. you're hearing and where it's placed and mm -hmm. uh, really good. Thanks. Yeah. It was just, people need to check most it. of the ideas were just, you know, I have like a keyboard and I, I lived in an apartment in Cardiff for a few years before I lived here in Oceanside. And so a lot of the ideas just started as these sort of like quirky, just sketches really. And I brought them to Tom and I said, Tom, I've got these ideas. Can you help me turn this into an album? That's not like just an album for only drummers to listen to. Like I want mm -hmm. anyone to be able to listen to this and get some kind of emotional response. And so for me, you know, the music was more about just letting out some of my influences and, and playing didge and playing vibraphone and playing percussion instruments and keyboards and, and drum set, of course, um, congas and all these instruments that I'm more of an amateur at, really. Um, it was just a way for me to kind of have that experience and, and put that out on wax. So, yeah, I think I sold a handful of albums. You know, I, I printed a whole bunch of some. Mm -hmm. If you guys want one, I should oh, have brought some. Yeah. If you guys want one, I'll bring you some. Hell yeah. Wait, I want, I want a record though. I want vinyl. I don't have vinyl. Vinyl's expensive <laughs> to is. produce. Yeah, yeah it's like twenty dollars to press. I got a buddy that just bought a lathe, and he's like Ooh. doing his own. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. We should do that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> now I'm just streaming. Now I'm just streaming. Um, rad man. Let's see how how else do I want to harass you? <laughs> okay. No, I'm not gonna not gonna. Don't get harass too me, Ray. Let's no, I'm not gonna harass you. I have like. Uh, actually, I do bef before we wrap up, I do want to like talk a little bit more about um, just balancing family and and uh, a music career. Mm -hmm. And you know, is it compartmentalized? Is it you know uh, how how much does that interweave? It's totally compartmentalized. Yeah. So you know, a lot of this subject matter and stuff, and and the lifestyle is pretty adult. Mm -hmm. You know, as as anyone would would know. Um, so when I come home, it's, I kind of turn that side of my brain off for a little while and it's just power dad, like get the kids to school on time, pick, be there for pickup on time, you know, soccer practice, softball practice. And I take all that stuff. I really enjoy that. Like I go to the, I go to all the kids games, practices as much as I can when I'm in, in town. Yeah. 
obviously if I'm gone working, then that's just the way it is. Um, but it's been, it's a challenge, you know, a lot of people, I think when they start a family, they don't realize that it's a, it's a polar opposite lifestyle of being on the road on the, when I'm on the road, I stay up all night. Um, I used to party pretty hard. I've been pretty alcohol free for the last couple of years. Um, maybe not a hundred percent, but I, I'm not like a daily drinker the way I used to be. Um, that was just my own choice. I needed to do, I needed to make for myself, but yeah, like it's totally like Batman, like by day it's Bruce Wayne and you're powered out. And then at night you're this different character. And so it's not that I'm being fake in either, either lifestyle. It's just that it's a totally different sort of wavelength in mm -hmm. a different time flow. It's like when I'm with my kids, everything's like I'm wearing a watch so I can know where to be on time and mm -hmm. what time to pick them up and all that. And when I'm on the road, it's the opposite. It's like we're on the tour bus. We're driving through the night just about every single night. We wake up somewhere new. You don't really know where you are. You kind of wake up whenever. No one's like banging on your door and telling you you got to get out, you know, to get to work on time. You're already if you're on the bus, you're where you need to be. Yeah. So it's a different sort of responsibility. Um but yeah, it's definitely compartmentalized. Like the kids have been to a handful of shows, um, but you know, the environment's totally different, you mm -hmm. know, like at home it's pretty tame. And then at shows it's kind of anything goes like people are partying as oh, they yeah. should, you know, and they're having a night out and, and that whole thing. So I try to kind of keep them sort of separate. later when they're older and they realize what they were smelling as they walked by. Places. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always come up on the bus and they go, dad, smells like 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 socks or something and i'm like yeah. okay like yeah. yeah it's kind of funky but it's full weed smoke you know yeah. all the guys in the band burn pretty heavy and and uh and i'm not opposed to it you know yeah um it's just part of the part of the lifestyle yeah you know? like it, whatever you need to do out there it's kind of anything goes as long as you're able to do your job and you perform well for that like two hour window per night yeah I don't really care what anyone does to be honest. Well, there's, I mean, there's truth to the focus that, you know, from marijuana and like cannabis and stuff. And yeah, so, I mean, it's, I think it's just, it's all in whatever your brain chemistry is totally. for you. For yeah. Me, I mean, I, anxiety. I spent like, I don't know, 13 through like 28 high as a kite and I quit mm -hmm. smoking pot all the way. And then I started drinking more, you yeah. know, to offset Yeah, because <laughs> I need to do something, something. And then, um, more recently, like, especially when COVID started really being kind of heavy, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to take a break from drinking too. And then it's funny because then I kind of came full circle and I started discovering these like gummy edibles. Mm -hmm. And so I've been just taking like a, a real mellow dose, like, you know, like a five milligram dose, which is fairly light. If, if you're a daily smoker, you probably wouldn't even feel a fiver. Yeah. For me, I'm not a daily smoker. So like if I pop a five, I'm like, cool. I'm kind of relaxed and it helps, you know, sometimes with the anxiety of the uncertainties of the world we live in right oh, now. Yeah, you know? yeah seriously. Yeah. Do you do uh, hybrids or indica? I like the feeling of a sativa personally, Sativas. but yeah, the hybrid ones are cool too. Um, but yeah, I just get these little, these little gummy things and that kind of, yeah. that's helped me a lot too. And I can, I can manage with the kids too. Like if I know I'm going to be with the kids, I don't even, even if even eat a five, I'll eat like a half a five yeah. and it just like, I'm just cruise control. It's cool. Yeah. It's helped like, you know, with the anxiety or the daily yeah. stresses of having all these things to do and not enough time to do it as, you know, as a yeah. parent or whatever. Let's just say it's really, I mean, my mom uh, takes gummies now. Like she, when yeah. we were kids, she would be like, she would say, you know, 
anything about no every it's a drug and don't do mm-hmm. this and and now and now I see her and she's like super excited to get these small little <laughs> packs of like gummies and I'm like that would annihilate me mom it's <laughs> cool to see the stigma finally release yeah. a little yeah, bit it because it was such a stigmatized drug from the 50s on and it's like it's I mean let's talk about the differences of like someone that's high when they go into the gas station, they're just buying shit for munchies to eat yeah. and they're buying a drink or an iced tea or whatever. If you're going in there under something harder, if you're like on meth, like mm-hmm. you might rob the place or yeah. you might shoot someone because you're out of your mind in that way. Um, I don't know. Like you don't hear a lot of crimes committed from people that are just baked because they're just relaxing, you yeah. know? So it's just funny that yeah. that drug was so like over criminalized yeah. for so long. It's still like, a class two substance like they, it, you have to get approvals to do studies on it. Like it's, it's still, it, it's so weird. Yeah. It's but alcohol backwards. is, I know. Totally yeah. legal. Totally. Mm-hmm. And there's so yeah. much more, pro- there's so many more problems associated yeah. with alcohol. Uh, I mean, huge. just think about when you're driving down the freeway, you know, any, yeah. any like late night of the week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember back in the day doing a lot of shows, like just driving up to LA, doing a show and driving back the same night, like in, in my car. And I'm like, everyone's hammered everyone and i probably had a couple drinks drifting and going 40 in the carpool lane and and you're just going like wait aren't we supposed to be going like at least 70 like 70 is kind of a safe speed but we don't need to go 100 or we don't need to go 40 most likely from alcohol and yet you know if you're stoned maybe you're hyper focused on your speed but you're probably not going to be swerving and you're probably not going to be like doing something super questionable, like cutting 18 lanes over mm-hmm. to get off the exit that you almost missed. Yeah. Cause you're hammered. You know? Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Big difference. Craziness. Yeah. But coffee works. Yeah. Coffee's fun. I'm, I'm all about the hippie speedball too. Like a little coffee and a little microdose or like a little, little herbal gummy. Like that's a, that's that a fun get combo. You all like, mm. no, it kind of just puts me back to the middle, but I'm like having this like a little more yeah. of a ride, I guess. I'm I don't know. so interested in microdosing. It'll, like so interested. And I know people that are doing it and, uh, and yeah. everything I read, I mean, there's so many more studies that are coming out about like microdosing mushrooms or, yeah. or acid or, uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's all the studies on psychedelics, but, but mm-hmm. mushrooms specifically, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, it's helping people get over trauma, anxiety, depression, uh, small doses to help people focus and you just see it everywhere. And I'm super, super curious, but I only did mushrooms when I was like younger. So, yeah. So, so I only know the, and yeah, that I and think so I'd there's, be like there's scared to start. a way to do it without yeah. turning into a Smurf, you know, like <laughs> if you eat a ton and you're just like, you yeah. know, your eyes are rolling in the back of your head and you're just seeing colors and visuals. Like that's cool if that's where you want to go. But you do what you kind of have to eat a lot to get to that point. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Cause you really like, if you just do a little bit, you don't, it's just more of like, you're more like alert. Like a body buzz or yeah, something. Yeah, and you're just kind of like in a better mood. And, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're not all like, holy shit. Last like, time I did mushrooms, I went vegan for 20 years. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> true. No way. Are you still vegan? No, no, no. Kim, Kim ended that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <She's> like, <laughs> Enough of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of those, a lot of drugs were just lumped into this bad, bad, you know, yeah. just say no. You know, that whole the whole eighties era of just say no. And that was like this big fear based thing. I think now people are looking at these substances and going like there's therapeutic benefits Mm -hmm. to all of them. So let's not just demonize everything and say that heroin crack, 
meth and acid are all the same thing because they're fucking not no like why are we just lumping all that into one like criminal sort of category when really if you're being responsible and you're doing it like if you're in your own home yeah you can cut you, you can do whatever you want we live in a free country where you have control over your own domain so as long as you're not like out trying to kill people and do weird stuff when you're mm-hmm. under the influence yeah i mean i'm, I'm all for that yeah. you know I had an uncle in prison for the majority of his life just for drugs, Mm -hmm. for doing drugs. And it's like, it's so sad to think that, you know, somebody else's puritanical beliefs on, on a substance dictated his life, you know, and like Mm -hmm. how he could spend his life. And, and and it's sad. It's sad. A lot of that stuff should be reevaluated, you know, especially like marijuana specifically. Yeah. There's still people, lots of people in jail. Yeah. And then there's states where it's legal now. Like you go to Colorado, it's free for all. Mm-hmm. You go to Northern California, it's always kind of been a free for all up there. I mean, yeah, Washington. Washington's free for all. Yeah, for sure. Like you can just outwardly roast one, and no one's gonna think twice about it. No, because they understand that that, and it also functions in the economy for those areas. Like a lot of those areas benefit in a positive way from the money that is generated. Yeah, you know, there's 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 two sides to it. I think you know. Yeah, nothing's black and white. No, yeah. fortunately not. Yeah. Except for ska bands, which you're in. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Ska bands. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like ska. Ska's I do cool. too. Hey, man. I, I know you there. like it too. I'm a ska you're... apologist. I like yeah. it. No, I do too. I do too. It makes me happy. If it makes people happy and it makes people move, yeah. why not like it? It's fun. Yeah. Right? I mean, I feel like that about any music. If someone's digging it, then someone's going to make it for those people to dig, like whether it's ska or yeah. free jazz. Free jazz isn't for everyone. Someone might listen to that and go, this is complete noise. But it's mm-hmm. a human expression. Yeah. So is it noise or is it music? I mean, that's its own rabbit hole, really. But a lot of people just want to categorize and simplify things. If they're non-musicians, especially, they would say, oh, it's either noise or music. It can't be mm-hmm. both. Oh, you know, heavy metal is noise. But is it noise? I mean, there's beauty and there's art in so much heavy metal, but it oh, depends yeah. on who's evaluating it. Right. You know, I guess that could be true with anything. You well, know, it's like art. It's subjective. It's, yeah. You know, you might look at something and be like, that's a scribble. And someone else that's like, that's the best. I mean, abstract. Having, I'm sure you've seen people come in like for cover ups and you're just like, <laughs> whoa, I can't believe you paid money for this. Yeah. And why did you pay money yeah. for this? You did that to yourself. You and said yes. But you're going in there to make it a better piece for them to enjoy. Right. Like, that's something, that's cool. Yeah, you know? no, it feels really good to do that for people. To have something that they absolutely hate and they can't. What's the worst one that you've... Oh, God. Probably, I mean, good. without mentioning names or anything like that, like, has there been some pretty, like, You'd probably like, even have to be coyote. careful on the design or something. Someone will know. Like some tiny Tasmanian <laughs> devil know. like on someone's oh, shoulder. Man. Dude, I was going to say, so I keep, things. I always ask for a Taz. Tweet, tweety bird just like right here that's <laughs> tiny. And you're like, there's always that Why? with like a USMC yeah. low, like right under, below it. Yeah, yeah there's Semper uh, Fi Yosemite Sam. Honestly, they these questions always make me go blank because there's been so many. Let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. Let, me, that's let a, me think. That's an important, you know, input for a tattoo artist to, to talk about like, because you're, you want to make whatever mistake look like a, a nicer piece of art when right. you're covering it. Not another mistake. Not another mistake, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
it's... And tattoos are personal too. People yeah. go in and they go, I know kind of what I want and mm-hmm. this is why I want it. Here's the symbolism behind it. It's tattoos are important, you know, like you can't just go in and get something that you're going to like hate in a year from now or five years from now, right. you know? You have to commit and you have to stick with it. Why yeah. are you saying that? You're like trying to hurt her business. You can. You can go in and get anything <laughs> drawn on you that you want. I'm not trying to. I'm, just because anything is just it's, joking. It's, it's helping the business. Like. Actually, no, it's that thought. Like, that's why I don't have any tattoos hmm. at all because I, I put too much thought into Do it. Do you have any? I have a few on my back. Yeah. yeah. Do you regret them? No. No. Not at all because mm-hmm. I feel like they represent things that were important or are important to me. Right. Or like, like a roadmap, like you remember yeah. where you were when you got it. Totally, that kind of thing. Or what he's not saying is, it's, it's yeah. the DVD cover from Space Jam, <laughs> <laughs> the original one. <laughs> so bad, yeah. No, I mean, for me, it's more about you know why is why are you des- why are you deciding on a design, and then don't maybe not without overthinking it. Let's make it the best possible piece. That's kind of what what I think is cool about tattooing is like if you're going to commit to something commit to it. It's kind yeah. of a commitment to yourself. In really big. I don't think yeah. people realize that though, how permanent it mm-hmm. is when they get stuff when they're younger. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 20 years later, they're like, Oh, I got a Pokemon or something, you know, like mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. But I, it's, it's hard. That's I think when it's they hard. call you again and say, yeah, okay, Paula, Check it out. <laughs> I got this when I was like 18. I'm 38 now. Yeah. It has no relevance to my life. We're not down anymore. We need to cover this. Yeah. So yeah. yes, this does happen. And I have covered cool. my own work. So have you? Yeah. Oh, That's really? Cool. Well, yeah. Just have people be like, mm, you know what? This was me <laughs> 10 years ago, but this is not me now. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why I liked this. I mean, what did you think of your work from 10 years ago? Were you like, oh, oh no, just you let me? I was like, damn, Scott's I can't believe artist, you want to. Well, yeah, I always, yeah. uh, I'm very critical yeah. of yeah. myself. If you heard a recording <sighs> of yourself from 10 years ago, you'd be like, out of tune, out of time. Yeah. Terrible. I do that too all the time because yeah. you're tr- constantly trying to get better. Right. Or I That's... have people that come to me and they see a piece of flash, but I drew it five years ago. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm going, oh, I could draw that so much better now. And so mm-hmm. I will redraw it for them. Mm-hmm. So, but it's because yeah. we do that to ourselves. That's. I think that's the artist. That's what's cool about art is it it's, can never be, it's, it's something you can always get better at. Yeah. Like yeah. whether it's musical art or tattooing or or any kind of graphic design or whatever it is, like that's what always drew me towards that life is that you can always learn something else. And if you get bored of learning one style, you can learn another style. Yeah. Like with, you know, I feel like that's um, something that happens with musicians all the time and and probably artists too. You get Mm -hmm. um, typecast essentially Mm -hmm. where you're stuck in this thing and, and people get mad when you're not that. Like oh, if you're yeah. doing if you something, do something that different, isn't like, that, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like, no, no, no. I associate you here. Yes. And, and I think that's the unfortunate thing with art is like you often feel like you have to, you've set this, this, uh, image of yourself or your, here's my style. Here's this. And mm-hmm. people get frustrated with change. They're like this is you right. Know. I know you as this, mm-hmm. your typecast essentially, yeah. or your compartmentalize, you've compartmentalized yourself in a way. Yeah, I mean, there's truth to that. I think, I think the way you get out of that is by staying creative. Yeah. So if you're getting, if someone doesn't like whatever flash you have, you need to just do a mural for your wall, or you need to do mm-hmm. a recording that is like totally off 
your normal, you know, scope so that people can understand that it's, it's a deeper expression of who you are, you know? I mean, I, yeah, I feel like that too. Like, because I've been with Slightly Stupid for almost 20 years now, people just assume that that's, you know, the only side of music that I love or that invest in when really like, you know, when COVID happened, I ended up taking like a year of grad school in music classes just to get away from all that, just because I knew I was going to be performing. Like, how can I still do what I love to do and maybe go more intellectual and do more reading and kind of research? And so I took some courses in ethnomusicology and it just, it was totally mind blowing because they're talking about nothing that I'm really super familiar with, like Javanese gamelan and, you know, Australian didgeridoo and not only the instruments, but the history that surrounds the instruments, the human element, the anthropological element that's involved in music. And like when you're looking at the you know, ceremonial, ceremonial music of Native Americans, that music is set up to create trance. It's set up to create a higher state of, of mental being. So if it doesn't make sense to you right now listening in your car, it's because it's not supposed to. So there's all this form and function that I started kind of learning about and it, I found it fascinating because I realized that, yeah, I'm part of one system. I'm part of this Western system of you, you play music and people pay music, pay money to hopefully watch you and dance to you and drink beer while they're watching in other, you know, countries and places, music is a more communal setting. Like if yeah. you go to Africa and there's a master drummer, the point of creating that drum is to make people move and dance and sing together. It's more of an, an all encompassing, you know, environment mm -hmm. and just learning about these different cultures and things. It just gave me a different appreciation of where I fit into that global sort of musical thing, you know, and it's a small piece. I mean, I'm an ant on a, you know, that's cool on whatever, you know, like a huge planet. <laughs> We're all small fish at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you know, in a huge pond, but like all that stuff, it was, it was good to kind of maybe even though it was a force break and it was really stressful at the time, it was good to like, and put my brain into something else where I could just, I was reading a ton and I was doing a lot of, um, writing and I haven't done that in like 25 years. And it was, it was actually difficult. You know, it took me a couple, maybe even a couple months to kind of get into that wavelength of like, okay, I got to read for like three hours and then I got to write a paper about it and it hopefully has to have some value. And, um, you just realize, you know, what I realized from, from doing those studies is that I don't really know much of anything. I just like, <laughs> I'm stoked in where I am in my life. And yeah. you know, the art, the, the beauty of the art is that you can never know all of it. So if you really care about it, you need to try to do your research into other areas of art so that you don't get complacent and go, well, I'm doing this and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm killing it here. So I don't need to learn anything else. Like you're not going to do anything if that thing stops. So you have to keep kind of pushing out on your envelope and, right. and growing, you know, I think a lot of times people assume that artists just are what they're known for. Like, you know, when you think of, I don't know, like Picasso, you just think of the one cubist thing that was only maybe a short period of his, of his learning or of his expression, but that's what everyone knows him for. Yeah. Like Andy Warhol, you know, with this, his style, you yeah. think of, the bright colors and the public figures or whatever. And that was like the Warhol thing. But like there was all kinds of stuff that came before and after all that. Right. You know? 
lots of different styles. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure that he probably morphed into that thing that got him popularity and maybe wanted to get away from it, morphed out of it or whatever. Musicians do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could, you could think of musicians from any genre that probably yeah. get bored in the genre, but they're, that's how they make money. Yep. And they, you know, eventually they want to do something different. That's a total departure just to give themselves a little, you know, kick in the, kick in the booty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Dude. Thank I feel you like I'm so talking much. too much. Am no, talking that's too no, much? Okay. Mm. This is the Rhymo podcast. What are you talking yeah. about? No, I'm just, I'm happy to sit with uh, yeah. artists and talk about art and music and yeah. all of it. I'm stoked to be here. It's cool. Dude. Well, we're stoked to have yeah. you here. So Thanks. thank you. Well, on that note, dude, thank you so freaking much Thanks. for coming out and doing this. Nice dude, to be here. Well, cheers to Rhymo. Yes. I'm cheersing Nuclear. It's not bourbon. <laughs> it could have been. It could be. I know. You got to pick up your kids. <laughs> no. You have responsibilities. Actually, being like less on the alcohol thing is, yeah. it's it's actually giving me a little bit of clarity. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like I was... Like I said, you know, when I was a kid, I was high as a kite forever, got kind of out of that, went into full like drink mode mm-hmm. and was in that forever. And then, you know, just kind of got out of both on that kind of level of just going hard. And it was like, cool. You know, I feel pretty clear. I feel pretty like. Yeah. You forget what it's like know? to like wake up in the morning and not yeah. feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. Feel like yeah. You got Every now and then. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, like it's uh, not the best feeling it's fun while you're doing it mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why everyone does it the next morning though brutal. Oh, brutal well that's the thing is like i forget because i drink so much coffee i forget to drink water enough you know and i still do i keep i keep this thing over here but on days where i tell myself i just focus on hydrating I'm like why do i feel so good today <laughs> and then i'm like oh yeah water drank enough water water didn't and just not like, as just much had water yeah, yeah. yeah true didn't hyper caffeinate yeah yeah i drank water Cool. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. I love you, man. Are we done? Yes. yes. Thank you. It's great. It's so good. This is fun. I want to keep going. <laughs> That's the problem. Is like I could, we could like do. I know it's hard to like.